Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Garen Whited, author of the Night Lord series. His latest novel is Night Lord Fugue. Garen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, if someone hasn't your, hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Night Lord Fugue, yet, how would you describe the novel? Oh, um, uh, look, I wrote it, but I didn't know there was going to be a test. Okay. Um, hmm. How to describe it? Well, it is the, it is the seventh book in a series. Okay. And each of the books is kind of lengthy, third of a million words or more. Okay. There's a lot to unpack. Okay. It is an epic, epic story. And basically in Fugue, we, uh, we are continuing to follow the adventures of Eric, who is, um, well, he started life as a physicist, a perfectly normal human being, you know, taught, taught in local college, uh, and was involuntarily turned into a vampire, which he rapidly discovered was the least of his problems. Uh, and things have just been kind of a nonstop ride since then. Uh, Fugue sees him, um, after he has, uh, due to a, a lot of complicated things, uh, adopting a baby daughter and raising her, which is awkward when you are an undead creature of evil that occasionally, <laughs> you know, fries in sunlight. So it's, it's, it's an interesting um, continuation, I should say. Uh, and it leads us into a lot of what's going to happen next. It lays a lot of groundwork for where the series is headed. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write the Night Lord series? Oh yes, yes, absolutely, vividly. Um I was uh, I was sitting in a in a in, well way back in the old days we used to have these buildings that were simply dedicated to the idea that you could go there and buy a physical book. Okay? <laughs> they were called book uh book no, no libraries is where you borrowed them. Um book um it was, a, it was a specific place where you could buy books, whatever they called those buildings. Um, so I sat down with um, a vampire book from, you know, like the, the new releases, bestsellers shelf, and I started flipping through it and um, was, uh, what's the word, um, disgusted? Yes, disgusted. <laughs> I, I, I looked at, I read the whole thing because I'm not going to judge it by the first chapter. Some books start slow, you know, you need to get, get into it. And when I reached the end of the book, I thought, that's a couple hours of my life I'm not getting back. I mean, I didn't pay anything for the book. I sat there in the, in the place and read it and felt cheated. And the, the way I put it to myself was, I could eat a pen and tomorrow morning produce a better book than this. Okay. So mm -hmm. uh, I started writing the Night Lord series primarily out of spite. Because if this is the kind of thing that's getting published, I can write a book. And seven Night Lord books later, uh, apparently I was right. And so was that first Night Lord book the first book that you had published? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. Um, it took me a while to write it, obviously, because, you know, I had to kind of feel my way into it, you know, go back and revise and rewrite a lot as I learned more about the story and the setup. Um, but uh, by the time I finished the first book, Sunset, um, I had the whole character arc set up, the whole plot and his ultimate demise. I mean, I'm sorry, the ultimate end of the series 
They say you're supposed to kill your darlings. Okay, well, I will get him yet, my pretties. But still, he's very he's very hard to kill on a permanent basis. But uh, I had the whole thing sorted out by the end of the first book, and well, I I had a lot of first book to to work on it. Again, third of a million words or more for each of the books in the series. They're 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 tomes. They really are. And were there authors? I mean, you talked about this one experience of reading a vampire novel that you didn't like mm-hmm. were there authors that you had read before the night lord series that did inspire you oh yes um i, w- I was inspired uh, in many ways by uh, a number of oh, just all sorts of authors uh they they say imitation is a ser- sincerest form of flattery and uh, i always liked uh, tolkien obviously uh but also uh pratchett Sir Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman and uh, uh, Robert Heinlein, um, Roger Zelazny, E.E. Uh, e. Doc Smith and his whole his whole Lensman series, um, more modern authors, you know, Stephen Bruce, David Drake, just just a whole slew, you know, of of, of uh, sci fi and fantasy. Uh, and of course, obviously, classics, Bram Stoker, kind of the quintessential Dracula vampire novel there that uh uh inspired so many other people as well um so yeah i mean the a lot of uh a lot of these authors kind of you know came together in my experience and were uh, i don't want to say models but uh uh perhaps uh, inspiration for how i wanted to write a story and it just took someone doing a really terrible terrible job to tell me look you are good enough to do this go right because until then everything i'd ever written i compared to the greats and obviously suffered by comparison so well you mentioned that you have plotted out the series arc do you have a sense given that arc of how many books uh will be in the final series yes i planned it to be a trilogy (laughs) <laughs> and now you're seven books in. Yeah, well, yeah. I look, he's really hard to kill. Okay. I've designed a very durable character. And if I'm gonna finish this series in a fashion that, you know, uh has him ultimately, you know, not only go- be dead but stay dead, um, you can't just and he got shot, thud, and it's over. No, no, that's a horrible anticlimax, and I'll be lynched. Uh so um, there's there's got to be uh, when when you've got a, a a great series, you have to have a great ending, um, a, a, and a terrible example or an example of what not to do uh, might be HBO's Game of Thrones and what they've done to the novel to the novels. The the show <clears throat> ended before the author finished writing all the books. And you could see kind of a decline in the intricacy and the quality of the ending compared to, you know, the stuff that uh, uh, George R. R. Martin actually had more of a more of a hands-on thing with. Um, so uh, I planned Night Lord as, as a trilogy, and it did kind of get away from me you know, a little. Um, but uh, I, I know where it's going. It's just a question of getting there at this point. So. Sure. We're closing in on the ending, and I think I've got a pretty good. I think I've got a pretty good bead on how this is going to happen. So next book, maybe the book after, but I'll get him. I will. So, so are you working on the next Night Lord novel now? Yes, yes, I am. 
in, in, point of fa- in point of fact, I'm sitting in front of my computer for this, and that's the file that's open. And and do you have a sense of when that might be published? Yeah. The problem is, um, since I'm since I'm an indie author, okay, I don't have some publishing house going. Where's the book? Where's the book? Where's the book? Okay. Um, yeah, Douglas Adams said that he loved he loved deadlines. They made a wonderful whooshing sound as they went by. Um, <laughs> And I don't really have a deadline as such. I, I finish the book when the book is finished. But the process for me involves writing the whole book. I've told the story. Great. Now that I've told myself the story and I have my first draft of the entire book, I loathe it. It's horrible. This is as awful as it will ever get. And I'm glad of that because it can only get better now. So I go back through the whole thing quote fixing it unquote kind of like um kind of like how a sculptor will start with a big block of stone and get it roughly the right shape and go that's a terrible sculpture and then start chipping away tinier pieces and tinier pieces until they're down to like you know uh what is it sanding grinding polishing until it's absolutely the way they want it, and that's the f- and that's the phase I'm in at this point. As a result, I don't know when I'll be done with it. I'll be done with it when I've either got it the way I want it, or I'm absolutely sick of still working on it. Hopefully, the first one. Sure. <laughs> well, well, what uh, writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Um. Well. Uh, I already mentioned first drafts, okay? And I, 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 I come back to that a lot whenever anybody wants to talk to me about, you know, how should I do my novel? How should I write this? Do you have any advice? It's always look at your first draft as dumping sand into the sandbox, okay? The neighborhood cats are going to make their contribution, and you will find those as you are making your sand castles, okay? That's just the way it is. All right. Your your first draft will be awful. Accept that. Own it. Okay. No one's mm-hmm. ever going to see the first draft. You can make it as awful as you want. And accept it. Be happy that it's awful because you now know exactly what not to do. You've told yourself the story. You've got the thing there. And it's no longer a blank page going, well... No, no, you have a story. Now you can go back and tinker with it. You've uh, you've built the hu- you've built the house. Now you can decide, wait a minute, shouldn't the laundry room be on that side of the house? I need a actually I need another bathroom. I'll put a bathroom here. You've built the thing and now you can make it the way you want it. That's that's, that's good advice. Thank you. Well, well, what recent novels have you read that you enjoyed? Oh, recent novels. Um, well, I have been kind of busy, uh, focused more on living in my own little world of unrealistic expectations because, well, I'm a writer and that's what I do. Uh, I have, uh, I have read, oh, I, I usually keep up uh, – well, obviously, Sir Terry Pratchett is no longer with us, so there's not a whole lot that he's producing at this point that most people can read unless you know, you've know you got your Ouija board and a lot of patience. Um, 
let's see. Uh, Terry Pratchett's Snuff, I think, was uh, was the last thing he put out, and I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of anthologies uh, of uh, various science fiction that's come out. Um, most of the stuff I've read, though, is you know a few years old. Mm-hmm. I don't do a great job keeping up with uh, keeping up with other authors at this point because, again, I'm I'm just I, I have this world living in my head that you know doesn't really want to make room for other things. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that that is kind of a problem. But sure. I will go I will go back and I will reread you know uh, things like you know the Cimmerillion. Um, uh, some of uh, some you know some of the stuff by David Brin, um, some of the Dragonlance, Margaret Weiss, Tracy Hickman stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and of course Julian May and her saga, The Pleiocene Exile. Uh, you know stuff that just you know I've read it before. I may have read it a hundred times, but you know what? No matter how many times I read it, I enjoy reading Children of the Lens. So I'm going to read that. I will like that. I will enjoy having had that experience, and it may remind me. Of some of the uh, some of the themes and some of the concepts that uh, and and in some cases the techniques that uh, that the author was using and I, I draw inspiration from these more classical, if I can if if that's not the wrong word again I, I'm a I'm a writer you should be able to use the right word yes but I haven't had a chance to look it up I'm making this up as I go you see first drafts that's what happens. Um, but from these older, more more uh, classical, if you will, uh, books and stories that uh, deal with you know themes and techniques and so on that may not be terribly modern, but are perhaps instead somewhat timeless. Sure. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your Night Lord series? I I suggest Google. Google's easy. Just put my name in, Garen Whited. You'll get the the Facebook group. Uh, you'll find, uh, you'll find my website, garenwhited.com. Uh, you'll you put my name into Amazon. Everything I've written will come up. There's several short stories. There's a straight up fantasy novel called Dragon Hunters. There's a post-apocalyptic, very cheerful post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel called Luna. Um, let's see. I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm also on Twitter. Um, I may have an Instagram account. If I do, I, I, I haven't paid much attention to it because what 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 am I going to post on Instagram? Another picture of me sitting at my desk. I I'm a, I'm a writer. What? I, mm-hmm. My life is terribly uninteresting if it's not happening inside my head. <laughs> That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Garen Whited, author of the Night Lord series. His latest novel is Night Lord Fugue. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Garen, thanks for doing this interview. Well, I've been delighted to be here, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Garen Whited's novel, Night Lord Fugue, narrated by Sean Runette, available from audible.com. Philosophical Question In my travels through the multitudes of worlds of if, I have seen many things, some that were, some that are, and some that have not yet come to pass. Even in only the worlds of Earth, there are many themes played again and again with variations, great or small. I, too, have returned to the familiar over and over, 
when perhaps a more adventurous soul would have ventured into far horizons. There are so many possible worlds of earth, spreading unchecked like a vine untended by a gardener. Is this by design, or has the gardener obtained the fruits he desired and left the garden to grow wild and full of weeds? I have no way to tell, for a vine untended knows nothing of the gardener save, perhaps, the fact of a planted seed. If God does not play dice with the universe, does God instead permit all things? And from these infinite worlds, good, bad, or indifferent, then choose only the things found pleasing. What about the rest of us? Child-rearing, first entry. Sometimes I think I need a keeper. To be fair, I do generally manage to feed myself and wash— As an organism, I guess I'm about par. As a functional adult, I accept I am deeply flawed. I know I have a tendency to go off when prodded the wrong way. I recognize it. I understand it. I can't do anything about it, but at least I'm aware of it. Case in point, an infant. I adopted her because she needed someone, and literally no one else was stepping up. What was I thinking? I'm not qualified to parent. I'm barely qualified to babysit. All right, food goes in one end. Former food comes out the other end. Somewhere in the middle, there's crying. Up until very recently, this was my total knowledge regarding infants. So, I have a soulless, or so they tell me, infant. The locals want to leave her to die on some mountainside, a ritual form of execution they call a tecates. Basically, you find a good spot, put the kid down, and walk away. Kind of like an abysmal return policy on a defective baby, sending it back to the gods. The milk of human kindness curdles quickly. I have a vague impression that there are other reasons in the Tassarian Empire for abandonment of defective babies— but I haven't eaten enough people who would know. Atechides is pretty specific, I think, and pertains only to copperide and therefore soulless monsters in human form. Maybe they view any physical aberration as a sign of soullessness, or a defective soul reflected in the external form, or whatever. Their theology is largely man-made, so I question it. This kid has a problem. Nobody wants her. Everybody thinks she should be killed, or rather left to die on her own. Everybody, that is, except a grumpy old vampire with a soft spot for children. Am I going to raise her in Tauta? Obviously not. Where am I going to go? I originally went to Tauta to find a quiet spot to do magical research in preparation for an upcoming ass-kicking— Whether I would be dishing it out or getting dished on was a good question, but let's not go into that here. What I needed now was a quiet spot to fake being normal while trying to raise a human child from infant to adult. Come to that, since I'm seriously underqualified for the role, do I have any business being the one to raise her? Why can't I find Ma and Pa Kent out in some version of Kansas somewhere and let them do it? Two reasons. First, this infant might really be a soulless monster, I have no way to tell for certain, 
and any tradition this extreme had to have something to start it. This could mean trouble for the unsuspecting farmer family. Second, the stereotype of the loving Midwestern family is a stereotype, not a fact. Finding an idyllic little family arrangement might take years. I can't automate such a search. I have to go and spy on people and make judgment calls, and I just don't have the time for it. A baby is like a ticking bomb with a countdown timer you can't see. Which reminds me, I have to get diapers. Am I going to use a shift box to target a package of diapers whenever I run low, or am I going to cheat and use cleaning spells? There's a silly question. Of course I'm going to cheat. I need all the help I can get. I guess the big question is exactly how I'm going to cheat. What am I going to do? Well, first off, she needs a name, then a home, then I have an education to plan out and serious decisions to make. Will I teach her magic? She's going to grow up around it. Will I tell her what I am and what I need to eat? Will I tell her she's adopted and why she had to be adopted? More broadly, what secrets will I be able to keep? Of those, what secrets should I keep? If I'm going to turn a baby into a functional adult, do I have to become a functional adult? Or is it reasonable and acceptable to shoot for an ideal I haven't achieved? Okay. Okay. I can do this. No, I can't do this. I can learn to do this. I'll spend the next hour going over baby names. Then I'll start in on finding a comfortable, stable world. Not one where I can get a lot done in terms of my future projects, perhaps, but one where I have a lot of time to focus on an infant. Since I don't sleep, I can at least get some thinking done while she naps. I'm definitely going to need a time ticker gate in Tauta. Maybe I can do the child-rearing thing in a day or two of Tauten time and come back. It's a shame temporal differentials are so unpredictable. Still, I can drastically increase the ratio between Tauta and wherever I, we, wind up. All right, let's get this kid a name. Then I probably need to start a logbook for charting progress, noting milestones, and otherwise keeping track of how the kid is doing. I need a spreadsheet. But for now, she really needs a name. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.